and that seems so antithetical to any busy mom is, is saying, oh my gosh, how is that even possible? A hobby? When am I going to knit a sweater or, you know, take a singing lesson or play volleyball like I did in college? It just, it's not going to happen. But at the end of the day, they, they did all these studies on employee productivity. And the more productive employees were the ones that had hobbies. They were like 30% more productive. So I always suggest carving out time for a hobby, even if it's once a month that you are spending a couple of hours doing something you love, or you're doing it with your kid. A lot of the parents I interviewed, they end up you know, picking up hobbies that they think their kids will enjoy with them. This is Women Killing It. Each week, women who are killing it in their careers share their stories and advice from making it in today's working world. Your host is Sally Hubbard. Today, I'm talking to Samantha Edis, a work-life expert and a best-selling author. She's also a corporate speaker, a TV personality, and a radio host. Her fifth book, The Pie Life, A Guilt-Free Recipe for Success and Satisfaction, is coming out on September 27th. Samantha, you are killing it. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. To start off, I'd love to hear about your your latest book. It's, I'm very intrigued. Could you tell us a little about it? Sure. So it's really a playbook for how to thrive professionally and personally at the same time. And I felt like there are so many women who want to figure out how they can have really awesome lives, which include a thriving career and also a personal life that matters. And so this book has not only the tactics on how to do it, but also stories from many of the women I interviewed and that I've worked with. That's fascinating because it's a lot of what I've been trying to do with the podcast in terms of creating a playbook. I've been focused on a playbook for what works for women in the workplace um, because I got really frustrated with all the news about the gender pay gap and all the things that you know, that everybody was saying that women were doing wrong. But I would love to hear, you know, some of the strategies that you have for actually making things work at home too, because of course, that's the biggest challenge that everyone is struggling with. Yeah. And and something you just said is so important, which I think that so much of the media has focused on the gloom and doom aspects of how to do this. Right. And like, uh, you know, the whole thing from Anne-Marie Slaughter's idea of women can't have it all. And there's a lot of negativity out there. And so for me, it's like, listen, I work with thousands of women um, in all areas of their life. And I can tell you unequivocally that the happiest among us are the ones that have some semblance of their career and their personal life. But when we give up our career, we are miserable. And I know this from working with so many women. And so instead of even making that an option, I say, let's take that option off the table. You're going to have a career. So given that you're going to have a career, how are you going to make it work and be really happy? And so a lot of what you're talking about is I, I, I really relate to and I love it. Well, I know personally that when I took attempts at not having a career, even for small amounts of time, personally, I was very miserable, Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a case study of one. Um, and I know <laughs> other, you know, other women seem to really enjoy, you know, stepping away from the career. But in, in your experience, yeah, personally for me, literally, I got depressed on both of my maternity leaves. And the moment I walked back into the office, 
ta-da, depression was lifted. <laughs> right. Because the bottom line is that life is supposed to be a lot of different things, right? It's it's our careers and our families and our friends and our health and our communities and our hobbies. And, and so when we only play in one or two slices of life, we get really unhappy. And it has nothing to do with you. You're actually more similar to everyone else in that arena than you think, because that's what most people experience is that if they're just focused on their baby's eating and feeding schedule, they get unhappy. And at the same time, though, it seems the workplace doesn't make it that easy, you know, to have a balanced life where jumping between those different parts of you. I mean, so you're having strategies that you're recommending within the book um, to use within the current paradigm that we're all living without any changes to the social structure, right? Well, listen, you know, it might be years before the workplace considerably changes, but we're already seeing a sea change with respect to parental leave policies and so many things are on a positive slope. I think that one of the things we can do is there's a couple things in the workforce we can do. One is I like to say there are no bad industries, just bad bosses. And you could work in the most quote unquote family friendly industry in the world. But if you have a boss that doesn't respect his or her own personal life, yours is doomed, right? Right. So it's so important to think about who you're working for. And if you're not working for someone who really prioritizes their own personal life, you're not going to have one while you're working for that boss. It's not going to go well. And so a lot of the time we think about industries that way. And I like to encourage women to think about bosses that way instead. You know, the worst thing that ever happened to professional parents is the ping pong table in the office, right? Because we don't have time to play ping pong during the day at the office. We want to go there, work, get it done and go home. Right. No, exactly. You know, I also saw your article that you've just wrote recently about Chelsea Clinton's speech and how she portrayed Hillary as this perfect mother. And what really resonated with me in your article was this point about how society's expectations for moms are just like unrealistic and and too high. Yeah. I mean, for those listeners who hadn't seen the speech, in the speech, she basically says, my mom was amazing because, and she said, thankfully, she didn't travel that much. And then she said she never missed a piano recital, never missed a softball game. It was not possible, right? (laughs) And the bottom line is I don't blame Chelsea or Hillary. I blame the fact that we have this expectation that to be a good mother, you literally have to be at every single thing. And if you have any life outside of your children, that is not possible. And we're under so much pressure with this vision of what it takes to be a mom. And it's just that the bottom line is that if you are really caring, empathetic, and attentive to your kids, and you put tons of love into them, then you're going to raise a happy, confident child. And it's not about winning the FaceTime game. We've all seen moms who spend every second with their kids who are helicopter parents or who are suffocating them or impatient with their kids or unhappy. And the best thing you can do for your child is to allow them to be who they're going to be and give them the space to do that. And one of the best protections against being a helicopter parent is to be a working parent. And I saw that you also cited a study that showed that stay-at-home moms in the 1970s actually spent as much time on primary childcare as working mothers in the year 2000. 
Isn't that crazy? I mean, think about it. So often our kids will say to us, we're bored, entertain us. We didn't do that to our parents. No. <laughs> our parents said, go play, right? It wasn't, right. it wasn't this sort of suffocating attention that we've done, we've given to our own kids. And listen, I'm as guilty as the next person, but I've seen it time and time again. If you turn off the technology and when you're home with your kids at night, you're really focused on them for two hours, that's a bigger gift to give them than spending all day with them and being impatient and being distracted. So being a really attentive parent when you are there is more important than being there all the time. And I think that, you know, Chelsea, obviously Hillary was not at everything, but I also like to share with people that I've worked with stay-at-home moms who've missed their baby's first steps because they're at their older child's soccer game. So you're gonna miss things, but as, as, as women, we tend to blame work when anything goes wrong in our personal life, right? When a relationship fails, we think, oh, it's because we were spending too much time at work. Or when our child's not doing well, we say, oh my gosh, I can't handle it all. Or we get a, a call from school that our child is sick and we're in the middle of doing a sales presentation with our boss. We think, oh my gosh, I just can't handle it. But those are actually the anomalies. Those are not the everyday experiences. And so I really encourage women not to blame work for those things and just say, okay, you know what? My life is going to be a little bit messy. And the reason I love the pie analogy is because I say that at the end of the day, the yummiest, most delicious pies are the gooey, messy ones, not the perfect looking ones. And so when you embrace the idea that your life is going to be messy and it's not going to be perfect, it's a lot easier to handle those bumps in the road. Well, that's very reassuring because my life is most definitely messy. <laughs> <laughs> But I bet it's fulfilling. You know, um, the other point that I'd like to make on this issue of, you know, missing things is there are just so many more things to miss than there used to be. Even, like if you're not, <laughs> even, if, even if you're not a parent who, and I'm not, I don't have my children enrolled in tons of activities because I just can't make it work with my job. But the schools, how much events they expect you to be there for. And I understand that there's a value in having parental involvement in the schools. But when I look back on my childhood, I cannot remember my parents ever being in the school. I and my, my child's public school in New York City expects me to be there, you know, so frequently. And I'm not an involved parent. I'll make that confession. But I can't maintain a job and be at this and that event every two seconds. Even my child's summer camp this summer like had a barbecue for each of my children different days of the week in the middle of the day after which you could take the child home and I said you know the whole reason why I'm spending thousands and thousands of dollars on the summer camp is so that I can do my job and you are not letting me do that it's so true I couldn't agree more it's like the end of the year I don't know how a corporate parent could possibly even be at half of the end of school year celebrations it's just not possible we're setting up this bar that's just too high to meet and I will say that the, at this camp barbecue that I went to begrudgingly, there was a little girl there the whole time crying, I want my mommy. And it's those things that prey on your guilt. And you think, oh my God, if I had missed this, my child would be crying like that too. And, and I, I really feel that institutions need to stop, need to recognize that they are putting too many burdens on working parents. I completely agree. And that is not being addressed from these workplace policies. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's one of the things I like to tackle is that you're going to miss some things. And even having those frank discussions with your kids kids. And sometimes it's okay to let them choose. You know, I can be at one of these things. I can be at the end of school year celebration, or it can be at the barbecue. Which would you rather have me at? And then they feel empowered because it's not this surprise of, oh my gosh, my parents disappointing me. 
And so a lot of times it helps to involve your kids in your work. And that's one of my strategies is to say, you know, there's two kinds of working parents. There's the kind that says, I am so sorry. I have to go to work. I'm going to miss you. And then there's the kind that says, oh my gosh, guess what? I get to do at work today. I get to do this. I get to interview this person. I get to, to work on this. And I'm really excited about it. And that second parent has a child who's proud of them for working as opposed to helping them feel guilty about working. That's great advice. I love that. I also noticed in your pie that there was actually a slice for hobbies. I know. And that seems so antithetical to any busy mom is, is saying, oh my gosh, how is that even possible? A hobby? When am I going knit to knit a sweater or, you know, take a singing lesson or play volleyball like I did in college? It just, it's not going to happen. But at the end of the day, they, they did all these studies on employee productivity. And the more productive employees were the ones that had hobbies. They were like 30% more productive. So I always suggest carving out time for a hobby, even if it's once a month that you are spending a couple of hours doing something you love, or you're doing it with your kid. A lot of the parents I interviewed, they end up, you know, picking up hobbies that they think their kids will enjoy with them. But it really is helpful to do something creative. You know, over the summer, my, my six-year-old son and I have this shell project we do. We go collect a certain color shell. There's these orange and yellow shells on a beach next to our, near our house. And we collect them, we put them in jars, we clean them together. It takes hours, but it's so much fun and it's mindless. And it's so great sometimes to get your, your mind off of the schedule and off of your work and off of your anxiety. The hobby thing was something that I definitely let go during the early childhood years. And I feel like now that I've got, my kids are six and nine, and I feel like I've kind of emerged as a, from, as I call yeah, it. Yeah, you're out of you know. the woods. <laughs> yeah. And I started to think, wait, what did I used to enjoy to do? And I couldn't even remember what I, you know, it's like you would get a moment of free time occasionally when you're like, wait, I have, I have a free time. Wait, it's so true. what do I, I like to do? I, I totally agree. I have a section in my book on how to, how to pick up a hobby or how to figure out what your hobby should should be because it is something that we end up forgetting those things that we enjoy. And, you know, in terms of what you just said with those early years, I, in, in my book, I, I call them the maintenance years, right? Those early years are so full of manual labor. It's like the dirty little secret of parenting that no one talks about is that it's a lot of manual labor and sleeplessness. And so that is not necessarily the time to leapfrog five levels in your career. I call them the maintenance years because if you can keep up your career during those times, then you've won. Because then when you're out of the maintenance years and your kids are in school full time and life and your kids are sleeping through the night, that's the time that you can refocus on moving up five levels in your career. I like that idea of the maintenance years because I know personally during that time I had a job. I was working at the New York Attorney General's office um, as an antitrust enforcer. And um, because it was state government, the pay was so low that literally when I paid for the childcare, it was really like a zero sum game, right? right? But for me, since I had experienced the depression on the on the maternity leaves, I knew that I had to keep working. Um, but I would say I could see the temptation to say, you know what, this doesn't even financially make any sense. But at that time, I said to myself, I'm just keeping a career track right now. Even if I'm not bringing home any extra money, I'm keeping a career track that later on I can, you know, make more money with, which is what has happened for me. That's brilliant. I love that. And I wish more women would do that. I mean, for me, it was a necessity. I really was not going to be um, happy 
like I was really unhappy when yeah. I was there. And I'm telling you that most women are. I mean, the other thing that we haven't talked about is just the financial piece of this, which is that when you take off just one year from the workforce, you lose 18% of your future earnings forever. When you take off three years from the workforce, you lose 38% of your future earnings. Wow, that's 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 pretty stark. I mean, I've, I've talked to a, a few women on this podcast who have re-entered the workforce and they've been lucky enough to have a connection that helped them get back in, but um, they're starting back at a lower level. And, you know, there's definitely frustration involved in that and huge challenges if you haven't kept up your, your professional network of actually even being able to re-enter. Absolutely. And I think that those those sobering numbers hopefully will encourage women to stop asking a pregnant woman, what are you going to do? Because for most women, there is no choice. And even if they think they have a choice, it's actually not a financially stable one. You've had a really interesting career track. You went to Harvard for undergrad. You got your MBA at Harvard. You started your own media company. You had your own TV on a show called, well, it was an online TV show called Obsessed TV. And yeah. now you're doing public speaker, writing all these books. This is a, a very rich career life. Do you have any high personal highlights or, or proud moments that have stuck out to you? Um, you know, there's so many, I think, in terms of, I, I, it, I, it's weird when you, when you ask me that question, it's an excellent question that I've never put any thought into. I think I, I grew up as a competitive tennis player as a child. And so I've always been very focused on the future and not that focus in the rear view mirror. And the good thing about that is that it allows me to move forward fast. So if something goes wrong, I really don't dwell on it. And that's probably one of the keys to being successful is really not dwelling because when you do, there's not a lot of positive that goes into that. Um, but I also don't take that much time to dwell on the positives. You know, I just, I really have always been very people focused. I love to surround myself by people who are going to motivate me to do better and that I can learn from. And I feel that that way even now I'm constantly learning. This, this fifth book is probably my biggest highlight only because my last four books were anthologies. Um, and they were, there was an expert's guide book series I published with Random House, four books. And each of them had 100 experts offering their areas of expertise in the book from Barbara Corcoran on how to sell a home or Richard Branson on getting a loan and Bobby Flan had a barbecue. But this was the first book that I was, you know, when I sold it, it was like, okay, you're writing this book yourself. And at first I was very intimidated and I've written hundreds and countless articles, but I never put together a full book on my own. And when I first started out, the book was honestly a piece of garbage. <laughs> It was so bad. And I thought, I cannot possibly publish this. And I basically started over um, last summer. And now it's a book that I couldn't be prouder of. And I love it. And I'm so excited about it. And I feel like probably out of all my professional accomplishments, this is by far the greatest one. Um, and we've gotten a couple of early reviews. And whether the person is someone who relates to it because they're a working woman or not, they, they've, they've all touted the writing. And for me, ironically, even though the advice is obviously what I talk about in my speeches and TV, whatever, I'm personally most proud of the fact that they thought the book was well-written <laughs> because it was my first book that I've written on my own. 
And you said that the advice in the book is pulled from interviews that you've had with women. Was this through your radio show or, or in what context or, or when you're working as a personal coach for um, executives? You know, I, I definitely pulled in stories of people who call me on my radio show for advice and other women I've worked with. But in this particular book, I also interviewed over 100 women for the book. And so it includes their stories. So in addition to my own personal story and the stories of a lot of the women I've worked with, it includes my interviews with Shonda Rhimes and Gail King and Deborah Spar, the president of Barnard and Sally Krawcheck and a whole host of other entrepreneurs and corporate executives who have really excelled and includes an interview with a gold medalist. And I really tried to find a range of women. And then I also, I have a really big Facebook community. And so I tapped into some of the working moms in there and I interviewed some of them, whether it was an inside sales rep in Florida or someone who is in charge of an oil rig in Oklahoma, their stories are also in the book. This sounds fantastic. I can't wait to read it. It's, it's out on September 27th, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it's in stories then. And does it have, you know, strategies and actionable tips for, for women to implement in their lives? Tons of them. Yes. Um, I am a big fan of tips because I think that the smallest changes can make giant differences. So um, just a couple I can share with you. I always say, wake up, use your magic hour and wake up an hour before anyone in your house does. And that is going to change your life. So when I first tell women this, they're like, oh my gosh, get an hour less sleep. And I say, I know it's hard, but you have to go to sleep an hour earlier to do that. So you want to wake up an hour ahead of everyone else because that's your time to shower, get dressed at a leisurely pace, have a cup of coffee if you want, check emails, work on something you've wanted to work on. And that way you hit the ground running every day as opposed to feeling like you're a step behind. So that's a big one. The other one that I love that, that, makes a lot of changes. A lot of people sort of institute right away is the golden triangle, which is do all of your errands, whether it's your gym, your hair salon, anything, your doctors should all be within the golden triangle, which are the three points between your home, your child's school and your office. Nothing can take place out of that triangle. And what's happened is that women who used to see a chiropractor 45 minutes away, or they used to you know, get their hair colored every six weeks, an hour away, they change to someone who's a lot more local and they end up getting more hours every month in their, in their month. I need to implement that advice majorly because I moved, it's been two years now, but a lot of my life is still where I used to live. In, yes, I hear that all the time. You have to move all of it. <laughs> and it's actually a really good way to meet new people is to ask, everyone loves giving advice, so ask for their recommendations. Who's your favorite you know, dentist? People love giving advice. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, the amount of time that I spend traversing Brooklyn is definitely something I would like to get back. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And the extra hour thing, you know, it's true that there's this challenge to get enough sleep in the first place. But I know one thing that I've been focusing on is that the time in the evening, often, even though you're thinking that it's relaxing you and decompressing, a lot of times it really is wasted time. That's not giving you a lot of value, you know, like scrolling through social media by, aimlessly or couched out like a zombie because you're exhausted at the end of the day. So it makes sense to take, cut into that a little bit to claim some time for yourself in the morning. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's also, I always like to say, you know, if you're in a relationship, you always want to try to go to bed at the same time as your partner, because 
that's when intimacy happens. If you leave intimacy only for date nights, then you really have no sex life. And so it's really important to figure out a way to go to bed most nights with your partner. That is also great advice. That's something that I that that I think is also a neglected. I was actually just listening to a podcast on the broad experience. I don't know, I don't know if you've heard that podcast. It's quite good about working women um, neglecting their sex lives. <laughs> oh, it's huge. It's such a big part of a happy life. Are there any experiences that taught you lessons that you would really... I mean, it sounds like there's a ton of lessons in your in the book, but in terms of your own career experiences, I mean, you've really forged your own path and created your own career. Are there any things that you know now that you wish you would have known sooner when you were starting your career? I mean, I think if anything, I think the person I was when I was... 22 years old or 21 years old was in many ways more fearless than I am today even, you know? So I think that, that sometimes I try to channel that fearlessness, almost naivete about approaching anyone and, and really realizing that like the worst thing people can say is no. And so over the years, what I've done is realize like, the times that you're afraid to approach someone are usually when you're having a bad day. Like, so if you're not feeling great about yourself, that's a great day for filing or working on a spreadsheet or writing something. Those are not the days to reach out to people. And on the other end of the spectrum is, is really, you know, find those, those moments that you're feeling good about yourself and reach out to someone. And if you don't reach out to them, then you've already, the answer's already no. But if you reach out to them, the answer can always be yes. I'm sure you found this with your own podcast and just booking guests. It's like the worst thing that happens is someone says I'm unavailable. And the best thing is that you have a guest you never thought you could get on your podcast. And I think that approach is is part of so many people's lives. Like every day, someone dreams of getting to know XYZ person or getting advice from this person or asking this person to do something for them and they don't. And I guess the other thing that I think I, I've over the years really gotten a lot better at is networking. And I would say that my approach to networking completely changed in the last six months. And that's probably the biggest recent lesson I've learned. So I used to give a lot of talks on networking because I felt like women were poorer at networking than men were. And when I would ask groups of women if they were good at networking, I would get like three hands raised in a crowd of 100 women. When I would say, are you good at helping? Everyone's hands would go up. And I would say to them, networking is just a fancy word for helping. So when you think of it that way, you're already really good at it. So this is how you network. Well, a few months ago, I guess it was about six, five or six months ago, a friend of mine said to me, you know, you're actually the worst networker. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, you don't use your network. You never ask anyone for anything. And I was spending every day thinking I was this sick networker because I had a great Rolodex and I would always introduce people and put people together. And I really never asked them for anything. And so I remember I had this dinner with a bunch of girlfriends when I was in New York. I live in Los Angeles, but I was in New York and I put together a group of like 10 girlfriends. And one of my friends, I was like sharing the story with her. And she said, why don't you do it now? Why don't you ask the group to help you? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. She said, right now, just say to them, how can I help you market your book? And she had me go around the table and each person said one way that they could help. You know, I work at this law firm and we sometimes have women speakers and I work on this show and I could get you on the show. Whatever it was, it was unbelievable. And it, it was a moment that forever changed my life. I never really used to ask for help and I've gotten a lot better at it. 
That's awesome. I love your previous idea of reframing it as helping because I think that's one woman that reason the women really don't like the network is they think that they're asking for something from people and they're kind of using them. I, I used to have a feeling that I was using people. Like I was pretending to be friends with them, but I'm really just trying to get something out of them. And that's why I didn't like networking. And I then, understand that. Yeah. I think we all feel that way sometimes. You, yeah. And you're like, oh gosh, but our last interaction wasn't perfect, right? It's like, right. it's like, I wish I could have asked them after we just had coffee and didn't talk about work or whatever it is. And that's just not the way the world. But I definitely have reframed it in terms of, of trying to help people out. And because I've had to do a lot of my my during the day, I'm also a journalist. I have to do a lot of networking in order to get information. And I've done it a lot of kind of helping people out giving, you know, providing my own expertise to them. And, but I love this idea of realizing, okay, it's not just about helping others. It's about asking for help also. Yes, exactly. So you probably have the first part nailed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Samantha, this has been a, such an interesting conversation. I can't wait to read your book. Your book is on, I know it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, right? And it's yeah. called The Pie Life. And your website is samanthaedis.com. Yeah, I was just going to share with your listeners that every Thursday I put out a newsletter full of advice and anecdotes and links to my favorite media of the week. Um, and hopefully your podcast will be on there as well when it comes out. But if anyone wants to sign up, they can just visit my website at samanthaedis.com. And I get that newsletter and I, I really, really like it. So I recommend it. Thanks, Sally. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have Thank a great you. day. You too. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and most importantly, tell a friend about us. Thanks for joining us. 